Hey friends, Ryan Smith here, pastor at Common Thread Church. Welcome to our Threadcast. Uh, we are in the midst of our summer series talking about campfire stories, uh, their story, your story, and our story. We're looking at uh, Hebrews 11, looking at the, the, the chapter on faith and uh, looking at what it means to wrestle with faith and to look at um, who we see as heroes, like the Hall of Fame, right, of faith and uh, we spent the first couple of weeks talking about what faith is, and then last week challenging you with how big God is. You know, what, what, how do you really picture God? And so today we jump into actually one of the first um, stories that's mentioned in Hebrews 11 um, as an example of faith, and it's uh, Hebrews 11 verse 4, and it's a story of Cain and Abel. Now, I do want to say that I do think in this Cain and Abel story, um, there's been a lot of assumptions made about. Um, Fill, or maybe not assumptions, maybe we fill in the blanks on some things. And I think that's okay. I think there's some of that, that that's safe to do that. But I think also um, sometimes when we do that, we kind of miss um, the point of what's happening. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to pause this. Go read Genesis 4, 1 through like 16. It's a short, short um, um, story uh, as far as just reading it. And that's what's kind of interesting about this story is that... Um, this is put into the Hall of Fame as Cain and Abel, and Abel is the is the one who shows faith. But we don't get a lot of the backstory, right? Um, we know nothing about Abel's childhood, um, his spiritual upbringing, his hobbies, his dreams, or his idiosyncrasies, any of that kind of stuff. Um, we do know his occupation. We are not told his age, nor given any hints of his accomplishments or potential that would commend him as this spiritual model, right? We don't know much about him. And although Abel is clearly the hero of the story, Cain is the one who grabs the center of attention in this story. Um, and that would just be like the older brother, right? I mean, the older brothers always take the center of attention. Um, uh, and so he dominates every scene that you see in this story. Um, and, and when he's on the stage of this story, it's hard to take your eyes off of him. It's hard to wrestle with him. And I think that's important. I think that even though Abel is the hero of this story, the story is written for us to see the character of Cain and to see what he wrestles with, and I think in, in turn be challenged with that in what we understand faith as. Um, and so the story in Genesis 4 mentions Cain by name 16 times to Abel's 8, and, um, and he's present in almost every scene. So Abel almost comes across as the supporting actor of this story. Um He's kind of like the understory, a member of the chorus. Um, he gets his lines right, uh, but the pathos of his character doesn't seem to carry beyond the flood, floodlights of the story, right? Um, and so it's almost written as if he is the understudy to the villain of the story. He's ordinary, he's pedestrian, he's lackluster, Um and to be honest, he's really uninspiring the way this story is written. But he is the hero, but he's also the baby of the family. And so um, the way this story picks up is that Adam and Eve have two sons, and they are called to prepare a sacrifice to God. Now Cain is a farmer, and Abel is a shepherd. Um, they each bring an offering to the Lord that reflects their occupation. Cain, Cain brings a portion of his crops, Abel a part of his flock. Yet the results are starkly different. God accepts Abel's sacrifice, 
but he rejects Cain's. So this story raises some very interesting questions. And, and the first example is, how did they know to bring a sacrifice, right? Um, and we just know that it was one of those things where it just says at the appropriate time. So whether Adam and Eve told him or whether God came down and said, hey, I need you to do this for me, um, we're not quite certain. But one thing is clear is that the cornerstone of Abel's faith is a sacrifice approved by God. Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. But this leads to more perplexing questions, okay? What made Abel's sacrifice superior to Cain's? And why was Cain's rejected? Um, And so here's some following explanations that, that could come forth. Some suggest that God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it meets God's requirement of the shedding of blood, okay? Um, and so the idea, you know, you see examples of that where when sacrifice happened, the blood needed to be present. I mean, blood is important in the idea of sacrifice. We understand that. But however, um, in Scripture, we see divinely approved grain offerings which are bloodless offerings in worship. Like if you look at Leviticus 2, um, and you see grain and cakes are used in several of the peace offerings in Leviticus Leviticus 7. Um, and so, um, the idea that it, that it was a blood offering, you, you would have to make some assumptions about the type of offering that it was that we don't know. Another suggestion um, suggests that Abel offers the best specimen from his flock, whereas Cain brings the surplus, right? You know, um, maybe the overripe surplus, you know, from his crops. You know, he brings the zucchini, right? You know, once you plant zucchini, it's going to grow like wildfire. And so, hey, I've got these extra things I'm going to bring, you know. Um, But again, the text is silent on whether Cain's sacrifice is substandard. We don't know that. So whether you embrace the blood theory or the surplus theory, Um, One thing is clear. Cain lacks a sincere spiritual motivation to please God. And Abel offers his sacrifice by faith. So we might say that the heart of the issue is that their hearts are the issue. And then as we we get um, in the next part of the story, it highlights God's response um, to Cain's resentful heart, right? Because as soon as Cain hears that the Lord doesn't like it, he gets angry. And so the Lord approaches Cain, pointing out that Cain's face reflects a fury, an unjustifiable fury, if you will. And he says, why are you angry? God asks him. If you do well, won't you be accepted? And then comes a warning. He says, watch out, Cain. If you persist in bitterness, this, then sin, like a crouching animal or serpent, will fulfill its desire to dominate you. And God tells him, choose wisely, Cain. Gain the upper hand. And so there is a spiritual battle going on within Cain that he must choose wisely. And just... Abruptly in the story, we get to where Cain then lures Abel out to the to the fields, and he murders Abel. Right, 
you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, um, that's not the way it's supposed to end. And, you know, Abel is the man of faith. He's the superhero, right? He's the righteous one. He is the hero of this story. He is simply minding his own business, doing what is right. He should be blessed, not bludgeoned, right? That he should be he should be the one that lives happily ever after. Um, and isn't it true in, in our in our stories and our fairy tales? Isn't the guy in the white hat vanquish the villain? He gets the girl, and they have kids. They get the white picket fence and do all those things, right? But the Bible's answer is clear. And this is what I think we miss sometimes in this story of Cain and Abel. Um, when we try to spend more time on on the sacrifice that was given. I think the Bible's answer, when he said, you know, when people say, shouldn't we live happily ever after? The Bible's answer is, not always. Now let that kind of sink in for a second. That when the... That the Bible responds that your life will not always be happily ever after. For Abel, his obedient sacrifice actually becomes sacrificial obedience. His choice is costly, exacting the ultimate price of his very life. So that is the first lesson of Abel's lasting legacy. Faith is the willingness to obey God regardless of the consequences. I want you to think long and hard about this principle because it contradicts our natural instincts. Many people seek religion for how it may benefit them. Religion is supposed to help us face life better, right? It's, it's, it makes us fulfilled people. God is a kindly old grandfather, the man up there, or the jolly Santa Claus, right, who gives wonderful gifts to his kids. Pray to him when you're in a jam, and he will get you out. And isn't it true that sometimes we church people, that's how we present faith, right? You know, we, we try to talk to those who don't believe and they ask, why should I give in? Because you're going to have a more blessed life, right? Is what we tell them. Things will be better for you. You won't be, you won't be an addict. You won't be, uh, you know, all these other things. You won't do these dumb things that, that your life will be better. But remember, this story is teaching us is that faith is the willingness to follow God regardless of the consequences. And, uh, and I want to, uh, we'll come back to that. Um, but I want to, I want to uh, before we come back to that definition of faith, I want us to look at the last thing that we see in this story. You know, I think the scripture teaches us things about ourselves, but it also, it's always teaching us things about God. I think sometimes we miss this in this Cain and Abel story. And so I want to read this last section again of, of this story and I want you to just simply reflect on God and what happens to the God character and what the God character does in this story in reference to Cain and Abel, but specifically to Cain. So one day, Cain suggests, said that he, to his brother Abel, let's get out of the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
Then the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Let's look at that that phrase. It cries out to me from the ground, right? There is this sense that God is already about justice and about injustice and that that he hears the cries of those who have been wounded and hurt in this world. And so that's that's one that's the first thing we learn about God is that he hears the cries of those who have been hurt. Verse 11, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother, your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on this earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear, right? Um, and then he goes on, I want you to see this, today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Go back to that for that part. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. He makes the jump. You know, he God says you. There's a punishment for what you've done, and God says you're gonna. You know, you work in the land. It's not gonna work for you anymore. And he says, you're, and so, so Cain says, you're driving me from land. And then he makes the statement, basically, that you're also driving me from his presence. But nowhere does God ever say that, right? He says there's going to be punishment, but Cain is the one that makes the jump to that means that I am no longer a part of you, God. Just think about that as we keep reading. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. That concept of putting a mark on him, right? That's like his essence. That is his presence. So even though Cain is facing punishment, he still carries the mark of the Lord. And I'm just thinking about this. I need to think about it a little bit further, but Another place where God talks about putting the mark of him on us is is the reception of the Holy Spirit. I don't think this is quite the same thing, but it is the concept of us carrying the mark of God. And I want you to see that even in the midst of Cain being a murderer, God still gives him his mark of protection. And so, in verse 16... Where I, I didn't get it. Oh, no. In verse 16, let me read to you. Verse 16, it says, So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. If you don't believe that's my reading, go read it for yourself. But it says, So Cain left the Lord's presence. And that is the important part of this, is that in no part of this story does it say that God left Cain, but it says that Cain left God. I think that's something that we need to remember is that sometimes though we do face punishment, sometimes we do face hard times, that doesn't mean that God has left us. Now, we choose to leave God sometimes in those moments, but God doesn't leave us. There's so much to unpack there, right? There's so much about free will. Do we believe in free will? How do we, how do we wrestle with that? How do we wrestle with the God's presence when bad things are happening? How can God let bad things happen, right, um, and still be present? Is he that powerful God if that's true? But I do want you to just hold on to the fact that in this, that God stays present. 
and that Cain is the one who leaves. So back to Hebrews 11.4. It says, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And so, in this moment we see that Abel still shows up. You know, it says that even though Abel is dead, you know, Cain's dead as well, right? But Abel's legacy lives on because of his choice to have faith, right? Um, To obey God regardless of the consequences. And so in this story, you know, last week we we were challenged with how big is your God? We We were challenged with that question. And this week we're challenged with the question is how big is your faith? How big is the faith that you hold to? Is it is it big enough to to handle the times when you your life doesn't seem to be going the right way, or you you made a choice that you believe God has led you to that, that this is exactly the righteous thing, the, the holy thing, the, the the godly thing, the Christian thing that you're supposed to do, but somehow your life seems to be worse off because of it, right? And in, in, in the the worst case possible, that sometimes your life may be in danger. You may have to give up your life because of that choice. That's when we wrestle with, is our faith big enough to handle those moments? Those moments when it doesn't seem like things are right. That, that, that we should be people that when we give our lives to Christ, life is supposed to be good and it shouldn't be hard and our finances should be in order and our kids should obey us and everything should be good and I shouldn't have problems with fill in the blank. But those are the moments we wrestle with the question is how big is our faith? And that's the lesson we get from Abel. This idea to see that even though he made the right choice. He still suffered here on earth. But in that 11.4, we do see that he still speaks today. That he was given something because of his choice of being faithful. And so that's the challenge to you, is to wrestle with your faith. How big, how strong is your faith? And I want to I want to encourage you, as we talked about last week, you know, these are things that ha- happen incrementally. Sometimes when we start asking these questions, we're so harsh on ourselves that, oh, I don't have the faith even of a mustard seed. I don't have all these things, right? But I want you to kind of think of faith as a muscle. It's something that grows. It's something that you have to build. It's something that takes time. And so give yourself grace and mercy in the concept of faith because it is something that I think God even recognizes that takes time and that he's patient with us. And so the questions to ask this week is how big is your faith and what does it look like for you when you face tough times? You know, what, what do you go to? Do you automatically choose to think that God has left you or do you leave him or do you seek God in those moments and seek what he's trying to teach you? And so that's what we'll talk about um, in Faith Life this week. And I hope this something gives you some stuff to chew on. I'd love to hear what, um, what, what came out to you. What are some questions that you're thinking through because of this story? So anyways, love to hear those things. Hope you have a great, great, great day. Grace and peace to you.